Paddy O'Burien, is the chief economist for the Bank for International Settlements, which is basically a central banker's uh, bank, um, wrote a paper uh, about 2013, 2014, I think, and it, goes, and it was called And the Movie Plays On. So broadly speaking, we had the financial crisis in 2008, and subsequently, most monetary policy subsequently is, is, has been a cause, has led up to the events of the last couple of weeks. In my view, it's the issue we have seen over the last three, uh, last week with three different banks, uh, well, three main banks going to the wall. There's a couple more in the US, obviously. Um, it's just been as a result of uh, policy causing an environment where these institutions could no, were no longer viable. So we started off the week with SVB in the States, where it broadly had um, a load of government bonds on its balance sheet. Um, and these bonds, it was, it was encouraged to hold these bonds because of regulatory rules to, uh, to match its liability and assets. Um, it had a lot of these bonds and when monetary policy changed, um, suddenly these bond interest rates went up and suddenly these bonds were worth an awful lot less. Um, and it had, a, it had a solvency issue and it also had a liquidity issue um, and it couldn't carry on. So basically it went bust as a result of policy broadly speaking, um, policy that led to it holding the things that are low interest rates in the first place and policy that removed interest rates and ended up having things on its balance sheet that were worth less uh, and caused it to go to go bust. And then you moved across and at the beginning of the week, that was what people thought was a local issue in the US. And then what happened was that people realised it possibly wasn't a local issue in the US. And if they looked across... Um, and appreciated that these bonds that all the banks had bought when interest rates were very low because of QE, basically interest rates were negative and uh, or on the floor. Suddenly interest rates are now at 4 or 5% or more. Um, and obviously the price has fallen. So everyone has got these bonds on their balance sheet and everyone's nursing a loss. And you see, obviously, crystallizing the losses, but you do the, do, do the, get the spreadsheet out and you can work out where the losses are. Um, and that, Basically, was the was the next sort of of, of, of sort of um, domino to go was was Credit Suisse and Credit Suisse is unfortunate insofar as you know it hadn't had a great fifteen years. You know, I'm not going to be patronising or condescending or wise after the event, but everyone knows that it, you know in terms of um, strategic issues, Credit Suisse had its fair share, and so that that was middle of the week. And of course, the Swiss um, authorities sort of stepped in and were providing um, a backstop we were going to lend to, to Credit Suisse. And people thought maybe by Thursday, that, well, that, that was the end of it. That was the ring fence. And then you got to the end of the week. And then as we saw over the weekend, the uh, you know, the Swiss authorities felt moved to step in and force the um, merger, if you like, or the acquisition of, of Credit Suisse by UBS. Um, and then there were one, which is a real shame. And then within that, um, the... Central bankers have also wiped out what are called the AT1 bondholders, which is this special new form of uh, bondholders formed after the global financial crisis, um, where people assumed that that would be converted into uh, bank equity uh, in the event of a, of, of a rescue. And, and that's not happened. And that's caused more collie wobbles this week. So in terms of policy, and this is where, you know, I, I, 
I, I set up the International Sustainability Institute and I talk about, you know, um, sustainability comes in many different forms yeah. uh, and basically fiscal and financial sustainability, the two issues that I'm concerned with. But I'm quite in, that's quite in a traditional sense as well, in terms of these huge macroeconomic imbalances, such as, you know, these 15 years of zero interest rates and QE build up their own set of problems. And what's happened, in my view, over the last sort of week or two, week or two we've seen the, the, the crystallisation from higher interest rates of problems that have been built up by policy, central bank policy in the first place. So we had the financial crisis and, you know, policy, central bankers were found to be uh, wanting that, that their oversight hadn't been good enough, people thought. So they then... Um, set new rules for regulation of the banking system. Supposedly, that would make the banking system safer. Um, but oh, that was on the one hand. But on the other hand, they then um, effectively uh, f- uh, implemented monetary policy that just pumped money into the, into the financial system for the next 15 years, where we ended up, you know, as of beginning of this year, like global financial assets being double the value of they were in yeah. 2008. Global levels of debt being two or three times more than at the in terms of the financial crisis, but global economic activity being nothing more than a quarter or a third more. And in some cases, in some parts of the world, little more than it was in 2008. And that has created itself a whole set of imbalances. So when the central banks act and raise interest rates to put the genie back in the bottle of the inflation, which, again, others would say they were culpable for, mm-hmm. for being asleep at the wheel again yeah. on that front, um, what they've done is they've you know, pushed the bubble down one area and then it's popped up somewhere else. And we're seeing you know, a manifestation of there was too much um, QE in the system for too long and people haven't invested in productive activity. So, you know, we were talking earlier about the Resolution Foundation talking today about UK wages being no more than they were in 2008. So capital hasn't been deployed into productive investment, into things that people can have economic activity and make and make that cake bigger for everybody. What it's gone into, it's gone into financial asset valuations. It's gone into you know pumping up, providing more levels of debt for you know, private equity purchases. So the same assets have just commanded a higher price. And once you suck all that back out of the system, you'll find that, you know, it's like a bond. You take it out yeah. too early and it, deflates and that's that deflation that blamange deflating is what's worrying people this week is like actually have we just catalyzed another round of uh crisis like 2008 and you've mentioned a couple of times these are global issues aren't they this isn't stuff that is happening in guernsey offshore or the european uh just for the european banks silicon valley bank when we were reading news about that it might have sounded like it was happening a far away but it's all linked isn't it these are- and i suppose the big worry for markets this week is is same as 2008 it seemed to be you know an american crisis nothing to do with us over here and it didn't take long for it to be you know one you know one global crisis um the issue was that beginning of last week people thought yeah it was just a it was just a u.s issue in a specific sector mm-hmm. of lending lending to the tech yeah. sector um but then you know it the, the authorities went to act and they basically they uh, 
They underwrote losses, not just for the people who have insured deposits, but the uninsured deposits. So people said, well, why did they do that? What do they know that we don't? And then people started looking and then they realized that what was the what was the problem at SVB was the fact that they had these bonds that were no longer worth what they bought for them and therefore on their balance sheet was suddenly not what it once was and that issue was across the piece for everybody and basically everyone's attention looked to and 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 what you don't want to happen is everyone looking for the next problem the authorities got to move quickly to try and you know draw a line at some point but my my position is though yeah this this whole issue is just is a result of misguided policy for 15 years so after 2008 we set off on the wrong track and we're, you know, I don't want to sound too pessimistic, like at the end of the line of that track. But, you know, um, we've had monetary policy that's you know, compounded um, the original problems. And then we've had it you know, with the interest rate rises to, you know, to alleviate the, uh, in the inf- to try and put the, the inflation genie back in the bottle, um, causing further uh, financial instability. We're still on that track, though, aren't we? So, um, not asking you to ask the genie or look in the crystal ball, but what could happen next? I do feel that for the read across, there's going to be a lot of people with illiquid investments that are based on debt, um, where the valuations are going to suddenly have to be revisited. And I think we might find lots of investors in alternative assets finding that they're you know they aren't what they once were so i think we could see the the issue the the fine move across into different sectors into the investment sector um it you know i I hope it doesn't but we could have a year or two of really poor bad economic pain um but and it's this sounds like a heartless thing to say but we keep deferring the pain, yeah. and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So actually, what we did in 2008, and then when I showed you earlier about bank balance sheets, so QE happened in 2008 because of the financial crisis, mm-hmm. and then QE happened because of the Eurozone crisis, and then QE happened because of the pandemic. So there's always been you know, medicine applied and medicine applied. It's been slowly killing the patient. And underlying it, and it sounds very um, de- emotionally detached, the, the actual economic model the capitalist economic model is seriously poorly and the medicine that's being applied isn't working and the problem is is that we've got a patient that's very poor and what they're not the patient's not doing is is creating enough wealth to make everyone's quality standard of living high enough and we've had 15 years of it not really getting any bigger really and now people spend all their time arguing about how that wealth is distributed and how their economic activity is distributed. So my concern is that we, we find ourselves in policy terms about people arguing over the distributional aspects without giving thought to how it's made, the wealth is made in the first place. And that's been something that's been going sort of in parallel. Mm-hmm. While policy has been applied in the monetary sphere that's just not been working, but it's been deferring the pain, we've had a parallel debate about you know, the fact that it's, you know, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and it's not, we're just all getting poorer, frankly, and that's been the problem. Especially we feel an awful lot poorer. So you know, the hope is, is that... you know. The movie has to stop. Yeah. As, you, know, it's clear about, you have to stop, take stock and say, look, this, this policy mix is not a sustainable mm-hmm. solution. It, you know, it, it hasn't worked. For, it's got 15 years down the road and we're just in a worse yeah. state of affairs than we were. 
In terms of going forward, well, have I got a crystal ball? No. Um, but if we don't change tack, we will just see, you know, in 150 years' time, you know, we're a fortnight in the history books of the, the Western capitalist model. You're not a lone voice on a lot of these topics, though, are you? You said that there have been, there are other people, economists globally, who are all trying to get the same message yep. across. Why, there why are, are but it's a, it's a minority. I mean, like I said, Claudia Bowe, because I know he's my almost like my economic hero. But um, there's a few voices out there. But the issue is, well, I've I've written about this um, mm. in my local column. Basically, we live in a very is it unplural. Can you say unplural? You know, we don't have much plurality of thought nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, if you look at, there's nothing that passes for economic debate in the mainstream press. In fact, there's nothing that passes for economic debate in the UK, in UK politics. There's nothing that passes for economic debate in the European Union. Their economic and governance structures basically bring a consensus view to the world. And, you know, it takes you a very long time to realise that you might be going down the wrong road. Yeah. So there are a few people, but the global policy consensus it's almost by construction deliberately, you know, uh, brings everyone into one view. Um, and I don't think that's been a good thing for us. So there are a few voices, yeah, but not enough. The, the, my concern would be, it's in, it's in an awful lot of people's short-term interest not to pay the pain. You know, to kick the can down the road a little bit more. You know, something, I mean, I... You all know, I've got this, a friend who I sort of like, um, used to take the mickey out of me because I said once, there's an economist, what, my, what, my, what I'd really love to happen would be to have a law, a law or a rule named after me. And I regrew saying it to them ever since that. Pulled my leg ever, ever since. So occasionally in my writings, you'll see this, I call it Sloan's Law. And it's yeah. a bit tongue-in-cheek. You know, it's like a bit of infamy sort of thing. You know, it's a bit Sloan's Law. And I basically say things can be unsustainable for a very, very, very long time. And that's the, we could probably carry on like this again for another 10 years. But it would just result in the same outcome. More instability and um, less growth and um, we'll be poorer. But we've, that's the road we've been on for 15 years. Selfishly, though, we live in a small island. We want Guernsey's finance sector to do well, don't we? Because we all want to do well. And we're, we're being told by our government that... You know, tax changes are needed. We know there was the big tax review debate and we know that you obviously had some input uh, into the kind of the public discussion on that. But what does all this mean for Guernsey's finance sector? Is it all bad news? Well, first thing is, in terms of the overall picture for Guernsey, yes, we're, we're well off, but we've been getting poorer. and We've been getting poorer for the last 15 years and our finance sector has been shrinking. There's some things we can do and there's some things we can't do, but we you know, what the change we can affect is this that in terms of we've been allowing our cost base to increase and we've been selling less and it's been costing us more to yeah. more to produce and that's you know basically economics 101 and we've been using the same revenues spread over more and more people and going forward we've got less workers with the demographics so we've got to fix the productivity problem and that's got to be done locally um but broadly speaking within that that's our local environment within the broader environment um, and it's that bigger picture stuff. What can we, you know, can we do much about it? Well, the bigger picture stuff is, is that, you know, in terms of the, the global capitalist system, has had a bit of a rum deal for the last 15 years. It hasn't been producing the goods um, for the reasons we've outlined. And that what we've got to hope for is a reinvigoration of the sort of capitalist financial model 
that worked well for 200 years up to the financial crisis and you know, uh, you know produced amazing increases in the standard of living and um, we seem to have lost faith in that it can be done in a sustainable way this is not about an exclusive you know uh, mutually exclusive with sustainability but within that we've got to make the case of the offshore finance sector within that you know that broader capitalist system um, and what we can do then is to make make that case and which is what the institute yeah. also has a role um, in doing in that to basically take that case for the free flow of capital into real productive investment as opposed to just financial assets um, as a as a as a as a component of global um, raising global economic growth, yeah. and making that case and standing up for ourselves and selling our story and selling our role is something we haven't done for a long time. Fifteen years of being cowed and basically, you know, withdrawing and agreeing to more rules, agreeing to you know more measures, as opposed to standing firm and saying, do you know what we do is pretty useful for, you know, global GDP. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, another um, another item on the list of things that don't, you know, haven't been done for the last 15 years. Again, um, so that's what we can do locally. But in terms of that, how much is that our gift? We shall see. <laughs>